fighting to combat tyranny one state at a time, starting with Wisconsin. This is the Badger State Resistance Podcast, brought to you by Liberty and Freedom. And welcome back to the Badger State Resistance Podcast. I am your host, Justin, along with me, Lee. How are we doing, Lee? How are we doing? Good, good. So we have two uh, amazing guests joining us. So let's get them introduced right away. Mr. Jonathan Wickman, how are we doing? Hey, you doing well, Justin? All right. And then our very special guest today, Mr. Dan Kelly. How are we doing, sir? I'm doing great, guys. It's great to be on your podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I I really do appreciate it. Um, You know... Uh, we we uh, we strive to bring as many people on to this podcast uh, from both sides of the aisle. Uh, unfortunately, one side will not come on uh, because we dabble in facts, we dabble in oh. truth, we dabble yeah. in reality, and uh, so many of the others uh, get scared that are on the other side as well. Uh, so we really do appreciate you coming on this show because we have uh, spoken to the campaign of. You know Jennifer Darrow and tried to get something set up to have her come on, but it just kept getting pushed back. So uh, one of the biggest things that uh, that you know we we try to educate Wisconsin and then you know uh, the the country for all those that listen throughout the country um, is is transparency in government and especially when it comes to you know state supreme courts, U.S. Supreme Courts, uh, and in combating you know combating activism within our courts uh you know it's incredibly important that we have transparency so again we truly do thank you for coming on our show well it truly is a pleasure and i think a a point about transparency is really important um you know i uh, i spent my years on the uh supreme court understanding that the authority that i exercised didn't belong to me or even to the court itself but it belongs to the people of wisconsin and they simply loaned that to us. And so as I did the work, I always had my, uh, my eyes fixed firmly on my bosses and understanding that I'm using their power to decide cases according to the law. And so when I wrote opinions, I wrote them in a way that they can be accessible to everyone. You don't have to be a lawyer to be able to uh, understand the opinions that I write. And I think that's important because I view that as a report card to the people mm-hmm. of Wisconsin on how I've used the authority that they lent to me. Well, no, that's that's fantastic. So actually what I want to do is, is you know, build on that and just actually, you know, what, what actually, um, you know, obviously you were already on the state Supreme Court. You were appointed by former Governor Scott Walker uh, and then ran in 2020. We, you know, regardless of opinion, uh, we know that 2020 was an absolute mess. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how everyone feels, um you know, it, it the reality is a mess. So, what what has prompted you to to go through? You know, running a statewide campaign because boy, can Jonathan and I attest to how <laughs> insane uh, running for statewide office actually is, yeah. Um, yeah. and and how much time and effort and you know the same conversations with you know a lot of times with the exact same people multiple times, uh, you know, so we can understand how that all goes. What 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 drove you to to decide? You know what, I'm going to run and see what happens here. Yeah, I think two things. Uh, The first has to do with the lessons uh, that we can take away from 2020. And so uh, the first lesson uh, is that uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders combined 
can turn out more votes than little old May. Sure. Well, it could hardly be otherwise, right? I mean, mm -hmm. two presidential candidates combined are always going to be able to turn out more votes than a Supreme Court candidate. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing. The second lesson from 2020 is that notwithstanding that dynamic, uh, if you set aside the years in which there was a presidential primary on the same day as the Supreme Court election, there's only one justice in the history of the state who got more votes than I did. And so, uh, so we looked at that, and, uh, and I, I saw there a great desire uh, from Wisconsinites to have someone on the court uh, who would be faithful to the Constitution and who would uphold the rule of law and would do that without regard to personal feelings or personal politics. So that's the one reason. The other reason is, you know, I've, uh, I've been going around the state of Wisconsin over the last, oh, let's call it a year and a half or so, and uh, having conversations with them about the proper role and function of the court within a constitutional construct. And, um, and what, that, what I've heard from them is uh, they tell me that uh, in the next uh, election, this one coming up, that they don't want to have to gamble on who the candidate is going to be who goes to the Supreme Court. So they've seen what's happened in the past when, they, uh, when they've elected a candidate that did not have a long public record of constitutional conservatism, and they've said, we don't want to do that again. We don't want to gamble. Correct. We need to know that the person that we send is going to be able to um, accurately uh, address and handle our constitutions, both the Wisconsin Constitution and the United States Constitution. And they tell me, and you're the one to do that because you've already been there. We've seen that you've done it and done it well, and we want you to go back. And so, um, and so those are the two motivating factors behind this race is that, you know, but for the presidential primary in 2020, it'd still be on the court. And because the people of Wisconsin have asked me to go back, uh, that's that's why I'm doing this. Absolutely. Um, you know, definitely when it comes to uh, the individual you're talking about, I don't think we're going to get too far into it. Um, boy. I think we can just say, can we, can we, we can say his name. I mean, Dan, Dan's a nice guy. He did, he really, but we yeah. don't need another Hagedorn, all right? Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do not need that. And, and, you know, something that I want to make sure that I point out to people when, you know, Dan, when you say constitutional conservatism, uh, you're not talking about the political right. You're talking about conserving and preserving the Constitution. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, that, that's very different than, you know, the, the, the political right i mean you have Absolutely. those that will work to 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 trample I mean, we we have an entire political party which the, the the number one priority and agenda is to destroy the constitution and, and the last line of true defense to not only the people of wisconsin uh but the people of the united states is the supreme courts um you know state and federal so uh preserving and in in, in in the constitution uh, you know conservative conserving the constitution i just want to yeah. make sure that people understand that yeah and you put your finger exactly on the most important point so constitutional conservatism is uh, about judicial philosophy not political philosophy so uh and it's all right there in the name uh constitutional conservatism is about conserving 
the Constitution, the original public meaning of that document. And so the entire uh, work of the court is bounded by that document. We, and it says there that the court is to exercise the judicial power. And there's really no great secret to what that is. It's simply resolving the cases that come before the court according to the law that already exists. And uh, within that law, we are looking for its plain meaning or its original public meaning. So we normally use plain meaning when we talk about statutes, mm -hmm. original public meaning, uh, when it comes to the Constitution. And the difference there is the Constitutions are older, and so we have to pay particular attention to what words and phrases meant at the time that it was adopted. Most of the statutes, they're more or less contemporaneous, and so we still use words and phrases in largely the same way. But it's all about the same thing, getting to the meaning that those laws had when they were enacted. Those are all great points, uh, Dan. Dan, this is Lee. Um, I, I specifically have a question coming from uh, an individual who's who's just a father, who's just a, a nine to five type worker Monday through Friday, uh, just trying to raise a family and have uh, have the best life possible. Um, when you're talking about uh, con constitutional conservatism, who who maybe at a federal level or even at at uh, the same state level, who who would you consider a constitutional conservative uh, that would be next to you per se? Yeah, so uh, so let's start with the Wisconsin Constitution, or with the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and that would be Justice Rebecca Bradley. Uh, she is just an outstanding constitutionalist, and, and the way that you can tell is this. You look at her writings, and, uh, and you can see that she is, uh, she is looking for that original meaning. She quotes the documents, she quotes contemporaneous sources, to get at the uh, at that original meaning, and does the hard work of applying logic to that meaning to arrive at the conclusion. And that's the sure sign of a constitutionalist. So I always wrote my uh, my opinions starting with, uh, with there's a particular methodology to doing it to make sure that you're squeezing out your personal politics and personal opinions. You know, you start with the law that is applicable to that case, and you use rigorous logic to move from that all the way down to the conclusion. And when you're done, you should be able to look back and see an unbroken chain of logic between the law and the conclusion. And if you can, if there's no breaks, that's your guarantee that the conclusion is commanded by law and is not infected by the individual juror's personal politics or preferences. Now, the two uh, on the United States Supreme Court, the two practitioners there that really embodied that for me uh, was uh, was Justice Scalia and then currently Justice Thomas. Uh, yeah. And uh, they are both uh, just outstanding jurists uh, for largely the same reasons. Uh, there are different, uh, uh, different aspects of both of them that call out to me as examples to follow. But at the base, they both had the uh, exact same commitment uh, to the Constitution and its meaning, not, uh, not trying to import... Um, current political views or trends or fads, but paying close attention exclusively to the meaning of the controlling documents. And then uh, I love Scalia's writing, uh, just an incredibly incisive mind. And it was always a joy to, uh, to read his opinions, just an outstanding author. And then just, uh, Justice Thomas, uh, I so much appreciate his uh, close attention to history. 
uh, I mean, he just does yeoman's work in uncovering the historical references that really uh, help us understand that original public meaning of the documents. And so, uh, so the two of them are, are really kind of my, uh, my exemplars on the federal Supreme Court. Do you, do you know my favorite thing about both the justices that on the, on the U.S. Supreme Court that you were just talking about is their understanding of what states' rights are? Yeah, so so they they have a, a deep appreciation for federalism, and uh, you know just for your uh, your listeners, I'm sure they probably know this already, but just to rehearse it for a moment, uh, we have different kinds of governments at the state and the federal level. Mm-hmm. So at the federal level, we uh, we have a government that we traditionally refer to as enumerated and limited powers. That is to say that uh, the Constitution. Uh, uh, specifies the subjects on which the federal government can act. And uh, and the Tenth Amendment makes it clear that if it's not delegated to the federal government, uh, it is retained by the, uh, to, the right to address those issues is retained by the state or by the people. And so uh, both uh, Scalia and Thomas understand that full well, and their analyses reflect that beautifully. And then from our perspective, you know, having sat on the state Supreme Court, this is a real life thing. Uh, So one of the responsibilities of a Supreme Court justice in a state is to understand that we really are the last word on the state's laws. So unless our state laws implicate a federal statute or the federal constitution, uh, the United States Supreme Court has no authority to review our opinions. So it's just really important that we make sure we get it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I really want to talk about activism because it is a massive yeah. issue yeah. within our court system. Um, you know, especially here in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of questions that are going to be uh, put onto the, um, the the spring ballot that I think is going to draw, um, you know, a lot of attention uh, and, and possibly make this a bigger spring election than we've seen in recent years. But we, we do know that, um, you know, uh, Milwaukee County Judge Jeanette, I'm going to butcher the last name, uh, Prote- Protesiewicz. Uh, Protesiewicz, I think. Protesiewicz. Um, you know, we, we've we've seen where you know she she has been very open about policy. One of the yeah. one of the things you know, Dan, that I'm I'm very against. Um, when it comes to uh, judicial politics, and and I may have already said this, you know, during this this interview here, is I'm very against activism and, and political, you know, you know, ideology being based on a court. I, I want a judge that is going to follow the states and federal constitution and protect the rights based on on those things um, that yeah. that are there. Yeah. Uh, and we do know that Jeanette is is very much appeasing to the left. Uh, and the far left, um, you know, racking up endorsements. But, uh, you know, even Everett Mitchell from Dane County, which I think that's enough in itself, just the county in which he's he's presiding in, uh, uh, you know, is, you know, these are both individuals that are racking up endorsements from, from far left-wing um, individuals within our state government, you know, federal government uh, and others. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's an absolute tragedy that we have allowed you know so many people like the george soros to to come into you know 
uh, you know, to try to swing and put massive amounts of money towards district attorneys and uh, attorney generals, uh, and, and then these Supreme Courts that we see all over the country. Because again, you know that 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 conserving the Constitution when you have activists on Supreme Courts, you know, rights get trampled as we all saw. You know, Jonathan Wickman can can probably speak to this. You know, in 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 three hundred million hours worth of podcast <laughs> hours, uh, we watched how the the rights of, of individuals were trampled in 2020, you know, with, with the whole, you know, pandemic. And again, I don't want to get into policy or anything like that, but, but it is 100%, uh, you know, the rights of the people were trampled. And, and I think many courts, including, you know, they, they were scared instead of just understanding that the constitution is specifically writ the people written. I mean, we had talks, Dan, where people were literally, you know, but you know, politicians were saying they wanted to shut the country down, right, and 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 stop travel. Part of our 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 right as an American citizen is to be able to move about the country freely. So yes, yeah. I mean, you are uh, you are well justified in being concerned about activism. I mean, this is um, so. I've often said that politics are poison to the work of the court. But that's what activism is. It's bringing in one's personal politics and allowing that to inform you how you're going to decide a case. So, uh, so with um, uh, with Janet, you know, it's um, it's not just a question of who's endorsing her. It's what she's actually saying. It's mm -hmm. remarkable. So, I think that in in elections, uh, I generally don't. I don't like to characterize. Uh, so much what my opponents say. I prefer to use their own words sure. because I've learned over the years that when your opponents tell you who they are, it's probably a good idea to listen. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so a couple of things that I've um, that I've heard uh, just just recently. Well, let me start with um, uh, something I read over the summer. There was a an article in the New York Times. Uh, about this race, uh, they're writing specifically about the Supreme Court race here in Wisconsin. And it was remarkable how frank they were about what the left wants to accomplish. So just a, a couple of excerpts. They said that electing a liberal justice to replace Justice Pat Rodensack would give Wisconsin Democrats an opportunity to enact a host of measures that currently have no shot at passing in the Republican-led legislature. So right there, they're telling us that they plan to use the court as a second Correct. legislature, one that would supersede the legislature provided for by our Constitution. But they didn't end there. The article goes on and says, Wisconsin's are, uh, Wisconsin Democrats are already envisioning, if they win the election in April and take a four to three majority, a political transformation of the state. And then it ends with a quote from Calderoy's, uh, as you know, state senator from the Madison area, uh, who says, in terms of the ability to change Wisconsin in two years, this could be an utterly different state. Now, I thought that would be the high watermark of the brazenness with which the left would approach this race. But as time went along, I found out that I was wrong. They could be more brazen. So, uh, for instance, uh, we had our first debate uh, this election cycle just a couple of weeks ago. And um, and in that debate, uh, uh, Janet was asked about the redistricting map 
that was uh, uh, addressed by the Wisconsin Supreme Court just last term. And I thought that she would say something to the effect of, well, you know, we don't do politics and we just look at the legal issues presented by the map and that's what we resolve. But no, what she said was that map is rigged. It's unfair <laughs> and it's unrepresentative and it needs to be fixed. Now, I can't, it, <clears throat> excuse me, this is yeah. again. I, I can't imagine an individual going into a debate like that and having uh, an opinion as if they were going to be elected to legislature, you know, into yeah, the legislature, right. into the Congress, and yeah. then and come out with that. And so, you know, to kind of piggyback on that, uh, those types of comments, what, what do you think the health of the judicial system in Wisconsin is right now? And what would you... Ch- I don't want to use the word change. What what, it, what would your uh, elected position, if you were elected, how how would how would that strengthen uh, our position within Wisconsin from a from a law standpoint? Yeah, I think uh, what it would do is it would add my voice to that of Justice Rebecca Bradley. And when two justices are saying the same thing, it's much harder to ignore that. And so to have both of us there uh, stating what the Constitution requires and what the law requires and explaining to the people of Wisconsin why we're doing what we are and why it's compelled by the law and why it's so very important that the courts do nothing but what is compelled by the law, I think that restores confidence in our courts. Now, the left is right now trying to tear down confidence in the court as much as they possibly can by politicizing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, so think about this just um, as a thought experiment in, in, in understanding why it's so important that we, uh, that we are, in, are impartial and we simply apply the law as it exists. So imagine you go into, uh, into a courtroom, your party, and you see on the bench, there's the judge, and you think, wait a minute, I just saw that judge uh, out in public talking about the laws that he likes and the laws that he doesn't, and what he's going to, what his values are, and what uh, what issues he's going to pursue on the court. And you'd be entirely justified to stop and think, wait a minute, am I going to get a fair hearing in this case, or is that judge just going to be applying her personal values that she's been talking about that she wants to implement? in the court. And so, uh, so it, is, it is crucial that we have people on the court who are capable of pushing back against that, illustrating how dangerous that is to self-governance and to our liberties. So right now, uh, uh, Justice Rebecca Bradley, as I mentioned, the premier constitutional conservative in the judiciary today, uh, she tells me that she, uh, she would really appreciate the help on the Supreme Court. And so uh, so I think that uh, is a dramatic difference that would occur. Having those two voices combined uh, will make it much more likely that the court will adhere to its constitutional duties and not start interfering in the legislature's duties. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna pipe in here for a second. I know I've been quiet. I've been quiet because there's an expert in our midst, and that's, that's <laughs> Justin Kelly. And and that's why you know really I, I appreciate you having on there. That's why I reached out in, immediately after uh, the meeting in Southwest Suburban. There is because I just love how Dan takes the time to uh, you know really teach us, you know, explain this. Uh, and it's just amazing to to hear you speak. But really, what uh, zoned me into uh, Justice Kelly was the safer at home order. Obviously, Justin, you know, we were fighting against that pretty pretty quick there. But Dan, you said something interesting. I mean, you said that should have been a seven seven nothing vote, right, to, yeah. to end that executive uh, executive order. Can you can you go into a little bit more about that? And again, we appreciate you for doing that. Uh, thank you so much. Well, I will accept your thanks on behalf of the framers of our constitution, mm-hmm. because um, my decision in that case was uh, was not my personal view on whether uh, the substance of the order was good or bad. It was simply our judgment on whether the uh, secretary had the authority to issue it, right? So this, uh, so this gets to why it should have been 7-0. Now, the opinion of the court, uh, written by Justice Rogensack, said, well, this is an unlawful order because it didn't go through the proper rulemaking process. And that's true. It didn't. And therefore, it was unlawful. But that really just scratched the surface of the problem with it. The real problem with it, and Justice Rebecca Bradley and I both wrote about this, the real problem was that it was an unconstitutional theft of the legislature's power. Because if you take a look at that order, that's not implementing a pre-existing statute with terms and conditions uh, that are spelled out by the legislature. That was just sitting down and writing the law. So one day, Secretary Palm walked into her office in Madison, and she sat down at her keyboard, and she just tapped, tapped, tapped out a new law, and then it held it up for everyone to see and said, behold my law. And just so you're aware, these are not suggestions. They are law, because at the end of this, you will see that if you disobey my law, you can be criminally prosecuted. And so uh, so Justice Rebecca Bradley and I looked at that and we said, look, we have a separation of powers for a reason. It's not about efficiency of government at all. It is about preservation of liberties. And so, uh, uh, and so that, uh, that order had to go down because it was completely inconsistent with our constitutional order. Now, um, like I said, that was 4-3, and uh, uh, one of the three uh, uh, was uh, uh, Justice's initials are Brian Hagedorn, and, uh, and he said, in a separate opinion, he said, Justice Rebecca Bradley and I were mistaken in going after the unconstitutional nature of the order. He said that order was just fine. Wow. That the that the executive branch can make the law. Now we found that curious, but we learned a little bit more about this uh, once I left the courts, and this issue came back, but at the local level. So in a uh, case called Becker, the uh, they considered uh, an order adopted by the Dane County public health health official, and what happened there is they just looked at the Palm order said. Well, I like that, and implemented that at the county level. Well, the same problem applied there. The county uh, public health official is a member of the executive branch of county government, not the legislative. And um, so the court decided that case also 
on a four to three vote, but it was the other way around. So right. they upheld that as a lawful order. And Justice Hagedorn again wrote, wrote a separate opinion. And he said, you know, that the separation of powers and all that, the Justice Rebecca Bradley was talking about, that's really more a political question than a legally binding constitutional commandment. And so this is what happens when you don't have um, enough strong voices to support the Constitution on the Supreme Court. And it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, there are four uh, uh, people running in this race. Two of them are avowed activists. And then we have uh, Judge Doral from Waukesha County. And she's kind of a question mark because just like Brian Hagedorn, she doesn't really have a public record demonstrating uh, an understanding and a commitment to constitutional conservatism. Now, here's the thing. She might be, um, and if she went to the Supreme Court, she might be a good constitutional conservative, but we just don't know because we don't have anything other than what she says about herself mm -hmm. to give us any confidence. And so um, I think given the stakes of this election, uh, I agree with the people of Wisconsin. This is no time to gamble on who we send to the Supreme Court. So uh, I, I think that um, I think Wisconsinites um, uh, should have a re they do have a reasonable expectation that they don't have to rely on what a candidate says about himself or herself, and that they should be able to go to external sources to see. I, I can see what you've done because what you will do is the best indication of that is what you've done already. And so, you know, I, uh, as I travel around the state, I've been encouraging people to look at the records for each of us and then base, uh, and base a decision based on what they see in our records. What was so concerning to me going through the whole 2020 uh, time there was what Andrea Palm did, though, uh, with that safer at home order is I knew it was blatantly unconstitutional. I mean, it was so black and white to me. But just how many of uh, everyday citizens have believed that that was actually a law? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had a very weak uh, legislative body that could have basically undone this. And I, I, sadly, I think it's because a lot of their you know, reelections were up for grabs. They didn't want to really upset the apple cart and they didn't want the media honing in on them. You know, the left coming out hard. So I think they just kind of rolled over to it. And the reality is this Wisconsin State Supreme Court was the last fail safe to get the right constitutional ruling on this. And thank God that's what happened. But like you said, had we had a Doro there with the Hagedorn, uh, things might look very differently, different in Wisconsin. This could have gone a lot longer, you know, the lockdowns and everything than it actually did. Yeah. Justin, what do you think? No, I, I agree. Uh, you know, again, I just... Uh... A lot, a lot of this stuff actually makes me pretty speechless that that we just have such a you know a a a, a, a massive amount of our our population that just don't understand their basic rights and 
you know, and, and for the for the Supreme Court to have to be the final sale, you know, fail safe here in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, during that time, and especially after two hundred and forty days. I mean, Lee, you you dealt with this nonsense. I mean, I mean, so many of you know people that we know and and right. I mean lost businesses and everything. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, one hundred and forty thousand businesses in Wisconsin, just small businesses, uh, individuals that you know are are no different from us. And they're not pulling in five hundred thousand dollars a year in most cases they're pulling in you know just scraps like the rest of us um many in the case that it's it's the sort of thing where between if you're not if you're not worried about your government from the standpoint of a a congressional side of things you you want those people that are you're electing to protect you but then you also have to now worry about what it seems like is these activist da's to get involved of course and and it's just I mean, we've seen cases, and I don't think it's really here in Wisconsin necessarily, but we've seen cases where DAs after the fact have come back to companies who have pushed back against them and said, hey, we're going to take away your liquor license now, or we're going to take away this, uh, you know, any kind of license that you need to operate. And so there's a whole other aspect of this abuse that we keep on getting hit with as individuals. And you know what? Uh, Most of those people that I know, and especially uh, within the family, always, everybody seems to always forget and I, I don't mean to take it up some more time here, but everybody seems to forget that these companies that we were forcing to shut down or close or you know stay at home, they have the capability to do that. You don't need to tell them to close down. That's right. not that's not what we're here for necessarily. And then if people don't want to go to work because they feel their health is in a position that they can't go do that, they have ways to find new positions to go ahead and and expand their knowledge and and work to the degree that they need to for their own health and for their own family and they have to take that risk. But I'll tell you right now if it was between me and uh, COVID when it came down to it, well of course I'm going to put my life on the line because I do it every day for my family as far as I'm concerned. The, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. You know, and this is one of the, uh, this good illustration of why each of the branches of government needs to be energetic within its own sphere. So, uh, so you mentioned that the legislature had the authority uh, to, uh, uh, to repeal that order at any time. They could do it by a joint resolution. Mm-hmm. Doesn't uh, doesn't go through the governor. It's just a joint resolution between the uh, Senate and the Assembly. But beyond that, the legislature has a great deal of oversight authority and power uh, that it can use and that uh, largely goes unused. And, um, and it's one of the reasons why I was asked to write uh, a, a legislative oversight manual for Wisconsin once I left the court, uh, which I've done. And, um, and that manual goes through and describes uh, the specific authority that the people of Wisconsin lend to each of the branches of government. And, um, and one of those is the oversight power. So the legislature's responsibility is not just to pass the law, but to have oversight over it once they're done. So they, they're not supposed to just cast their bread on the water and walk away. When they send that, uh, that new law out into the world, their responsibility is to then watch carefully on how it's executed. And if the executive is not executing uh, the law the way that they had anticipated, you bring the executive officers in, you do an investigation, you hold hearings, and you figure out why. 
and um, and you can give instruction and uh, determine whether well maybe the law wasn't as clear as it ought to be and we need to uh, we need to fix that or if they are going beyond their authority uh, so for example with the safer at home order uh, they uh, after that investigation and hearing they can pull the plug on that just with the joint resolution and so there's just a lot of power that the legislature which is supposed to be the first branch of government and the most active uh, uh, in preserving our liberties a lot of authority that lies unused that they could use uh, to protect people's liberties I agree Absolutely. Well, you know, we're coming up here on, on time. So, uh, Mr. Kelly, what I'd like you like to give you, I'd like to give you the floor to, I mean, obviously, you know, we've been talking here and I think that people are getting a pretty good understanding of, of who you are as, as a person um, and, and, you know, a lot of the history uh, that, that you have. Uh, but what, what separates you, uh, and maybe you've kind of already answered this, but what separates you from the other three? What, what is the true, uh, you know, that that kaboom, I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a, a drawn-out kaboom, but I'll describe it like sure. this. It, it's, it's that I have a long history as a constitutional conservative, and I've proven my commitment to it for decades. So um, when I was appointed by Governor Walker to the Supreme Court in 2016, I was already a well-known constitutional conservative because I'd spent uh, 15 years prior to that appointment helping lead the Federal Society, along with my practice at one of the largest firms in the state. But the Federal Society is an organization that is dedicated specifically to helping everyone understand the original public meaning of our constitutions and why it's so very important uh, to apply that consistently, especially in the context of a court within a constitutional system. And so uh, the last five years of that, uh, I served as the president of the Milwaukee chapter, one of the most vibrant chapters in the country. And so I've written uh, extensively about uh, constitutional issues, both on and off the court. So while I was on the court, I wrote several landmark opinions on constitutional matters. And the body of my work was uh, quoted, cited, or relied upon hundreds of times by courts here in Wisconsin and even across the country. And, um, and then off the court, of course, I've written in the uh, legislative oversight manual uh, about the responsibilities of each of the branches within a constitutional construct. And that was received so well that I was asked to write uh, a manual similar to that for Michigan, and then one for Illinois. Now, Illinois, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do with it, but at least they're interested enough uh, to, uh, to know how to do uh, uh, legislative oversight. And then I've given over 100 lectures around the state of Wisconsin on the proper role and function of a court in a uh, constitutional system. And then I think it's important to, uh, to hear what others say about a candidate as well. And so, as I mentioned, we've got uh, two really premier constitutional conservatives in our judiciary, uh, uh, Justice Rebecca Bradley in the Supreme Court and Judge Shelley Grogan on the Court of Appeals. And they both endorse me. And I think it's important uh, to know why they endorse me. So, uh, so they looked at each of the candidates really carefully 
looked at their records, and their conclusion is that I am the only constitutional conservative in the race. And then there are organizations uh, who care deeply about having a court that is not going to allow itself to be influenced by politics or by personal opinions. Um, organizations like Pro-Life Wisconsin and Wisconsin Right to Life and Wisconsin Family Action. And all three of them endorse me. And the important part there, I think, is they endorse only me. You know, um, there's something to be said for that. Um, we do know that when it comes to the topic, uh, that when we talk about activism, uh, this is one of the things that uh, we are definitely trying to protect, and that is preserving life. Um, so it is definitely uh, a blessing, you know, uh, that you you receive those endorsements, and uh, it's very, it's a great thing, and and I can appreciate, uh, you know, really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's it was um, it's definitely something that I know, you know myself and I know Jonathan were both passionate about. Uh, when we were running statewide uh, to preserve, and uh, so yeah, I, you know, again, you know, when it comes to to, to discussion of policy, um, you know, I'd love to ask you further on that, but mm -hmm. I think that we'd be getting into policy question, and I think that that right. would That's be, exactly right. um, I think that we would be actually doing a disservice when we talked about that versus, uh, you know, I'm done with the court of public opinion. We've watched BLM uh, use the court of public opinion, and many members of Congress, AOC. Maxine Waters, especially during the George Floyd hearing, uh, but but when it comes to our Supreme Court, it is absolutely one hundred percent a a must of of the people of Wisconsin to elect to elect somebody um, who is going to stand by the Constitution, whether we agree or disagree with the ruling. Personally, that still does not change what the Constitution of our state says. So, and, and 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 that's what makes spring election so darn important you know when we start talking about school boards and and and, and up uh you know the, this is where that local uh, you know legislation happens this is where our supreme courts are decided and and uh you know it's 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 as important if not more important in many ways when we talk uh you know about elections than you know general elections or fall elections so i, I just I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with uh with, with lee myself and jonathan um you know i just uh i really I, I pray for wisconsin and i hope that we we will be victorious in electing somebody such as yourself dan that is is going to Stand by the Constitution. Even, you know, again, I, I'm going to repeat myself because it's important. Even if I don't agree, as long as it's it's backed yeah. by constitutional fact and, and there's nothing, I mean, then that's where we as individuals, you know, you know, the constituent base become active and replace, you know, members of our state state Congress or federal co Congress if we want to see changes within the Constitution. It's not our responsibility to elect people that are going to change the Constitution in the Supreme Court. It's our That's responsibility right. to elect people that are going to uphold and defend it. So That's right. Let's get well, Justice thank you guys. Oh, thank you, Justice Kelly. Let's give out the dates, though, for spring primary. so important. People know that the date. Yeah, so February 21st for the primary, and then shortly after that, the general on April 4th.
Absolutely. Good deal. And you can only vote for one, folks. You cannot right. vote for one. two. So we do, you cannot vote for, you know, uh, A and B and C and D. It is one. Yeah, it's one. Just one. And then the top two will move on to the general election. Uh, Mr. Kelly, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank Jonathan, you. as always, it's a pleasure. Lee, you. Uh, you know, we'll be back here tomorrow. Okay. We will. So, everyone, it have is a- my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank on. you. Stick through the music, and everyone have a wonderful rest of your day.